This week on Earn More Tutoring, Mike Michalowicz and I talk about his upcoming book, Get Different, and how he's coached entrepreneurs worldwide to make their businesses run like clockwork. And uh, I tell my wife we're going to lose our house. We lost it 30 days later. I tell my daughter in particular, she was nine years old at the time, that I couldn't send her to horseback riding lessons. As she heard that she was crying, I'm crying. It was really tough to see the provider, that's what you do, that's what I do, provider for our families to be the one who is taking from the family. And so my daughter, when I told her I can't pay for horseback riding lessons, she just ran away from me. At least I thought she was. She, she ran away to her bedroom, but not to lock herself there. She grabbed her piggy bank and she came running back to me and she put it on the table and she goes, Daddy, since you can't provide for our family, I'll do it. All right, this is Earn More Tutoring, the ultimate crowdsourced education entrepreneurship show. Today on the show, I've got Mike Michalowicz, author of Profit First, among many books. Welcome to the show, Mike. Sean, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. Well, I am thrilled to have you on. Obviously, I've been a fan for a long time, and now it's great to be chatting here with you. And one of the first things I wanted to ask is, I know you have a lot going on. You are an entrepreneur. Can you tell us about kind of your main ventures right now? Yeah, I mean, the main venture is writing. Um, so I, I'm working on a new book now, and I'm working on a new new book after that. Um, so that's my main passion. I do own some businesses. So I have a, a membership organization for accountants uh, and bookkeepers. And uh, I also have a... Uh, well, it really facilitates the authorship business here. So they're speaking, all these different elements uh, that play out. So you know, combined, while small companies, we have about 18 or 19 employees now. Um, around the work I do, which is just, it's a dream come true. Yeah. Well, that's how I discovered you. And I actually wanted to share a little story about how I discovered you. So I was reading 12 months to 1 million and uh, Ryan had this story about how you sent him, I think a bat or some type of uh, baseball memorabilia just when he was visiting to see, a, uh, I think it was a Cleveland, Cleveland game or something. And I was like, who is this person that would go so far out of his way or is like a signed bat? Can you actually tell that little story? Because it just, it blew my mind, the level of, I guess, you know, authenticity and understanding that you go to build relationships. And I think like that just has that attractive energy. I was like, I have to read this guy's book. Like he did that. Actually, I don't even remember that specific one. I'll tell you why. Uh, gifting is a uh, a process made that's, that's almost too of a word, but it's something that's really rooted into what I believe is important uh, and, and our organization does. So we actually have Amy here, who is our gifter. And um, <clears throat> what I think a gift is, is a couple of things. First of all, it's uh, it's thoughtful recognition of someone. There's a guy named John Rulon who wrote a book called Giftology. And he says, it's the thoughtful thought that matters, not the thought that matters, but the thoughtful thought. So what serves this person in a situation? Um, what What's their interest in their personal desires? The other thing is it's non-promotional. Like I, I would never imagine that logo, that bat shows up and there's my logo on it or my picture. Hey, like none of that stuff. What, what I found fascinating about people, um, and this is true for you and me too. If you look around your desk, John, look at all the stuff you have. We have a mental inventory of where everything was sourced. Like, oh, I, I bought that on Amazon or that was, you know, we know where everything came from. So when someone gifts, gifts us something, particularly thoughtfully, we remember, oh, this was a gift from so-and-so. Um, so that's an important way to 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 recognize that you don't need to to promote your business if that's your objective. You don't, and you shouldn't put your logo on it. But I think the last thing is gifting someone something with an expectation of return is not a gift. That's a bribe. 
gifting someone as a in recognition of, of an event or as a thank you is the appropriate way to give. So Ryan's having experience watching a baseball game. That's an event happening. That's appropriate to give a gift. There's no expectation of return. I, I didn't know he'd include that in the book. That's phenomenal. But it's just something to uh, memorialize that event. And uh, I know selfishly that if I'm the provider of the gift, that I'll be remembered. And this stuff comes back full circle at some point. Well, it really goes to the heart. I guess why it resonated so deeply with me is because in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he talks about win-wins, right? So if you find that perfect gift for someone, it like it's a home run. Uh, not, you know, pun, no pun intended, but it's an excellent choice right there. But at the same time, it's also a way for for you to, you know, build that relationship. It helps them have something they love. So I'm always searching for those win-wins. And it sounds like that's kind of a part of your just lifestyle or the way you interact with others. Yeah. And, and it triggers me, it triggers you, me, triggers us to really, really learn more about uh, the people that are in our lives. It's funny. I just sent out a gift um, a couple of days ago and the person received it. Her name is Dory Clark. I'm friends with her now over the years. She's a great author. She wrote the entrepreneurial you and other books. And uh, she is a part-time stand-up comedian. Like that's not her core endeavor, but that's, that's her hobby. And she enjoys it. She's excellent at it. Well, I was at a um, like a flea market type thing, and sure enough, there was a uh, Bob Hope album of his first thousand jokes or something like that. It was autographed by him. I'm like, oh my god, I don't care what this costs. I have to get this for Dory to have such a, a a perfect match to what her passion is. So I sent it over, and she's she texted me. She's like, I cannot believe you remembered that this is my passion uh, doing comedic work. So um, it, it just. It's a way to demonstrate you're thinking of people, but it's also a way to remember other people's interests and desires. Yeah. I, you know, until I had like a process for that, like until people taught me about it, you know, keeping on a spreadsheet, like, okay, here's someone you've contacted, like maybe here's something they're interested in, like ways to engage people. I never really had that. And so hearing your, until I started developing and reading books like yours and, and hearing how other people do it, but it's such a powerful technique because when we go beyond, you know, what kind of strategy or whatever we should use. It's all about relationships, right? Just building relationships with people. Could you could you talk a little bit more about that? Because it feels like you're the master of it and you've built so many, you know, positive relationships across, you know, networks and industries. I'd love to hear more about your philosophy on that. Yeah. And I wouldn't say I'm the master at it, but I, I, I do feel it's important. And I also want to preface this by saying I don't consider myself an extrovert. I do feel comfortable in an extroverted situation, but I don't get energy out of it. In fact, I'd rather run back to my room after uh, an event of some story, a conference, and just take notes and think about the conference as opposed to going out for the, the beer afterwards. But relationships are important. And um, one strategy I use beyond gifting is realizing that many people don't want to organize the connection between other people. We, we want the connection, but we don't want to organize. We don't want to host the party effectively. So as an author, there's some authors who I'm, I'm fans of. Uh, there's a guy, James Clear, who wrote uh, Atomic Habits. Uh, Don Miller, uh, it's just an extraordinary human being. He wrote Story Brand, uh, Chris Gelibo, Ryan Holiday. There's these, these guys. So I said, wow, what if I can get in a room with them together? And I simply did that by facilitating the event. And um, what we did was about a year ago, I said, hey, uh, why don't we get together and just share our stories as authors and see if we can support each other? Now, I would consider all these authors, you know, tier one authors, these are big names and stuff. I, I ain't there, but I was invited in the room because I'm the one who put it together. 
So now I'm rubbing elbows with these guys uh, and, and on a regular basis, uh, communicating just both two or three of those folks I was just, just in touch with yesterday. I think that's an opportunity for all of us is if you want to build relationships, help facilitate other people's relationships, be the coordinator of that, and uh, you get kind of get caught up in the wake of those relationships. And it's a great thing. Yeah, that is priceless <clears throat> advice. And I totally, it totally resonates with me because as we can see here, you know, I was a total fan of your book and then I started my podcast and I just wanted to talk to people who have, you know, moved ahead of me in terms of, you know, the, the, the stage, like I want to write a book one day, I want to yeah, yeah. start yeah. a podcast or I want to start a conference, all those things. So I just wanted to help those people share their story and at the same time, learn from them and, and have the opportunity. So yeah, that's a great uh, takeaway for the audience is, yeah, set up, coordinate the event, like coordinate the opportunity. And then you might have the opportunity to rub elbows or, you know, whatever it may be. When I, when I uh, broke into television, not that I did much in television, but for, for quite a few years, I was doing guest appearances on popular shows. There was this one show called The Big Idea with Donnie Deutsch. And this, is, this goes back now 15 years. I had just written my first book and wanted to gain, garner exposure for it. And what I noticed is uh, some contemporaries would just pitch the show. They'd have an agent call and say, I got you know Mike and he's amazing. And those were declined. What I did, I said, well, what, what would serve the show? So I called the booker. They had a live audience at the time and said, hey, um, what do you need that would help you? And they're like, well, we're, we're always looking for live audience members. It's hard to get people. This is a daily show to always get people in the audience. If you're willing to come out to the show, we'd love to have you as a guest in the audience. I said, yes. And I, said, I know other entrepreneurs. What if I brought like five or 10 people with me? And the booker's like, this is fantastic. If you could do that for me, you're, you're helping me. So the first time I attended that show as a guest, I came out with 10 other people. Then I met with the booker in person and said, hey, I can bring out more people. And they said, really? I did this repeatedly, maybe three or four times. I brought out five to 10 people for the show. Now, those people were grateful because I got them backstage access to a cool TV show. So they were happy. The booker was thrilled because they didn't have to cold call people and try to get people there. Then the producer, the guy's name is Will Surratt, the producer of the show comes up to me and goes, who are you? And I said, "You know, I'm Mike and I'm an entrepreneur. And he goes, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm an author about business books. He's like, you want to be on the show? I'm like, yeah. And he invited me on for a quick two minute segment. And what I didn't realize, this is a little insider access to television like that. It's really a, simply a test. They're going to broadcast that, but they don't want to put a risk out there. If you're not a good, if you're not a good guest on the show, then they can get rid of you. They try out for two minutes. Right after those two minutes, they called me back from the green room and said, Hey, we got another 30 minute segment. Do you want to be on it? I was like, yeah, I was on that show subsequently. I think 14 or 15 times and um, for massive segments and even spawned a spinoff show that never went anywhere, but it all rooted out of, uh, of just trying to be of service with the intention and the hope that I gain exposure too. but first and foremost being of service to that show. Yeah. That, that I think goes back to a core message that I've heard from almost every guest. And it's the idea of, well, um, Leslie Joselle who runs order out of chaos, but she said, give, give, ask or give, give, take, I think it was, but it's like, really, like, how can I serve? And I've seen that with, with people that I reach out to where, where I want to maybe get coaching from them. And instead of immediately asking me for a down payment or whatever, they're like, Hey, you could talk to this person and this person, and this person. I was so impressed by that, that their attitude was like, let me serve you first. And then if you're getting value, then maybe we move forward with some type of agreement. So that, you know, it's, it's a great way to approach, I guess, any situation, one one thing that um really stood out to me in your book 
well, there was many things, but one thing that really stood out to me was um, the importance of like family, like the story there, you had a story about coming home. And I think one of your businesses had failed and you had to like tell your family and it was really intense. Like, I think you were, you, you mentioned you were like crying in your car and it was just like, you were ashamed and embarrassed. Yeah. And, and as a young father and, you know, someone of the family, like I'm, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there in the same position. We want to, we want to do right by our families, but if you're an entrepreneur, you got to take some risks and and kind of put yourself out there. And I wondered, like, looking back on all the different ventures you've created, the books you've authored, was there a shorter path to where you're at? Because it sounds like you've landed in a place that you really like, but like, what would you tell to people that are like just starting the journey or wanting to begin their first business or maybe write a book? Yeah, there's there's definitely a shorter path. Um, but, But for me, this was the best path. So just to give a little context to, to the folks listening in is uh, I, I've been an entrepreneur my entire adult life. Ever since college, I built and sold a couple of companies early on. I became a self-made millionaire in my early thirties. And I thought I was the hot potato. I was like, hmm, my gosh, am I amazing? Totally, totally full of myself. And I think it was divine intervention. Uh, I needed a course correction in my attitude. And I started a third business uh, as an angel investor. And I just really didn't know what I was doing. I just did it out of Arrogance because it was such a cool title, and you know, to say I'm an angel investor and start boys businesses, but I destroyed businesses. Everything I invested in failed. I lost all my money, and uh, the the day I'll never forget is February 14th, Valentine's Day, on uh, in 2008. I got a call from my accountant who said, "Mike, you got to declare bankruptcy." And and the the thing was, uh, this man's bank account in my entire life. Uh, He's like, "You're you're crushing." It's like we we rarely see. Uh, businesses run them run successfully. He's like, I can't believe I'm telling you this. The same guy, you got to call it quits. Um, he's like, and if you don't call bankrupt, declare bankruptcy, bankruptcy, you got to uh, liquidate your remaining assets, which wasn't much things. And I decided option two to liquidate. I don't think creditors are responsible for my mishaps and, and my uh, un- misunderstanding of fi- how finances work. So I lost my house, lost my possessions, my car. And I, I remember coming home to my family on that day. I was sobbing because I've been lying to them up to that point by omission. Like my wife asked me how are things. I'm like, it's fine. It's good. How are you doing, Daddy? And my children make like, it's great. It wasn't. And uh, I tell my wife we're going to lose our house. We lost it 30 days later. Uh, we we I had to tell my daughter in particular. She was nine years old at the time that I couldn't send her to horseback riding lessons. And um, as she heard that she was crying, I'm crying. It was really tough to see the provider. That's what you do. That's what I do provider for our families to be the one who is taking from the family. And so my daughter, when I told her I can't pay for horseback riding lessons, she just ran away from me. At least I thought she was. She, she ran away to her bedroom, but not to lock herself there. She grabbed her piggy bank and she came running back to me and she put on the table and she goes, daddy, since you can't provide for our family, I'll do it. And it was, a, it still is an extremely emotional moment. I was proud of her. I was ashamed of myself. And um, it became a turning moment for me. It wasn't like the next morning I woke up and said, I'm going to fix all my erroneous ways. Like I started drinking pretty hard and kind of trying to self-medicate and really struggled with depression for a period of time, for a couple of years, actually. But during that time, I also started journaling and writing down my thoughts around entrepreneurship, what I didn't understand. And I realized I didn't understand how finances work. I thought I did. No clue. I didn't understand what makes the business run efficiently. I didn't understand any of that stuff. And that, that fostered my authorship. Today, every book I've written um, is really, honestly, it's part therapy for myself. It's, it's partly trying to 
understand what I don't understand about entrepreneurship so I can introduce it to my own companies. And I hope it's of service to, to readers that they can have a shorter journey. Um, so, so I think there is a shorter path and that's what I write about it. That's what I hope will get people to where they want to be faster, easier. Uh, but I know for me, it was necessary for me to go through that because it, it just it radically changed my attitude. I, I hope I am forever humbled uh, about the optional journey and, and no longer have the arrogance. Yeah, Mike, I got to say, I got like chills the whole time you were speaking because that's a really profound story. And it's it's scary, right, to um, to imagine that happening to anybody. And and you went through it, you know, where you had to to share that with your family and... Um, God bless your daughter. She sounds like a beautiful little spirit and, uh, Amazing, yeah, yeah Amazing. I hope, I hope my, um, well, I hope I never go through that, but I hope <laughs> if I do that, my daughter, you know, loves me that much to bring down the piggy bank we've been dropping coins into. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I, my daughter's now 23 and I, I've asked her on a few occasions about that moment. I'm like, that was such a defining moment in my life. I'm like, do you remember that? She doesn't remember any of it. And at first I was like, wow, how can you not? And then what dawned on me is that's just how she's wired. Like if, if someone is struggling, she will serve and contribute and support. So that's, that's a default protocol. Um, and that's, that's also a very proud moment that my daughter had that, has that and had that attitude. Well, I think it comes, you know, now that I'm hearing your story and it makes sense in terms of your work is, is therapeutic in a sense. When I was, my business was growing really fast Mm-hmm. And I was overwhelmed and I was spending working till 8 p.m., waking up at 7 a.m., working, texting kids on weekends, trying to get them to do their homework. I, I run an education business and I found your book and it was like an answer. It was like, here's how to make your business run like clockwork and not, you know, just be like you had that story in the beginning where you were on vacation and you were just yeah. totally focused on work. And I thought it totally resonated because I think we start a business because we want to be more involved with our family, but it takes over and then it controls us. So it's like, you're really helping people, guiding them, shepherding them out of that place where they can't be with their family or they can't spend the time, you know, doing what they really wanted to do. So it's a, it's a beautiful niche to be providing coaching and authorship and guidance in. I think there's a misunderstanding between our physical presence and our emotional presence you know, what I thought was if I was physically at the soccer game or at the horseback riding lessons with my daughter, that I was there. But emotionally, my mind was chugging away. Like, I get this done for work. Uh, so I wasn't there. I, I missed the moment. So even if I was physically present, I wasn't present. And um, and that's a problem. Like, I have a friend, her name is uh, Dr. Starling. And she says, we are in business to support life. We're not in life to support business. That that's why clockwork, I think, is such an important piece for me. And, and I've deployed it in my own businesses. Um, it, it's not about working more. It's about having or creating a business that supports a lifestyle that we desire. It's about contributing to our community, our society. And it's about experiencing life to, to its fullest. <laughs> it literally, literally is that simple. Yeah. No, and I love you know the beginning where you talked about productivity being a lie because the real goal is kind of choosing the time that you want to allocate for work and then delegating outside of that rather than being more and more productive until you've used every minute of every day, you know, productively or so that was, it was great to just have a total paradigm shift. I wanted to ask you about your next book. Tell us about, you know, what you're, you're coming out with and 
what you know the focus of it is going to be, how it's going to help people. I'd love to hear a little bit more about it. Thanks for letting me share. I, I, I'm really excited about this. Uh, I, I get really excited about every book I, I publish um, because it's, it's bringing thought to, uh, it's really manifesting thought. The, the new book is called Get Different. And what I did was I've been surveying audiences, both formally and informally around their marketing for, for years, perhaps a decade or longer now. And I'll ask an audience, I'll say, what's your primary source of leads and opportunity for your business? Inevitably, for almost all small businesses, it's word of mouth or client referral. They say, well, you know, my clients love me. They, they introduce me to other people. Or you know, someone hears of me because the clients are talking about me. And that is a wonderful thing. It's an acknowledgement that your services or products are, are so impressive to those clients that they refer you. But the danger, of course, is you're at the whim of the client. If that client decides to stop marketing you, your marketing's done. So I consider that the icing on the cake, but it surely isn't the cake. So how do we develop marketing that we can throttle, that when we want more clients, we can bring them in? And in the case where we want to slow things down, that we can control that. Well, that's, that's a form of proactive marketing. So, so I started investigating that. And I found that there are three key elements to marketing that works. And if you miss any one of these three, you're done. The first one is being different. Marketing that's the same as everyone else's. If you send out another email blast that starts off with, hey, friend, you're in trouble because that's that's been done and it's it's saturated. So you have to do something that's unexpected and different. How our minds work is when something different presents itself, we evaluate it to assess if it's a threat or an opportunity. That moves us on to the second stage of effective marketing, which is attractor factor. It's got to have a compelling reason for the person we're targeting to stay engaged with it. Is it entertaining? Is it speak to their needs? Is it fun? Or is it repelling? That That won't attract them. You know, I could be a lawyer trying to win a case and I could walk in with a Bozo the Clown costume going yaka yaka, you know, as I walk in and the jury will notice, but it may be repulsive uh, and they may not take you seriously. It could hurt you. So you have to be different, but in a way that's attractive. And the last element is it must also include a directive. We need to tell the prospect by consuming this marketing, what is the next step? And the key to this needs to be reasonable. You can't say, hey, uh, you know, just met you. I know you're interested in some consulting services. Give me $100,000 and we'll evaluate and see if you're a fit for us. No, $100,000, who are you? The right thing may be simply say, uh, do I have your permission to contact you? What's the best way to reach out to you next week? And that's a small directive that's reasonable, but it is a directive. It's a singular call to action. And if you pass those three elements, the acronym is the word DAD. It's kind of a creepy mnemonic, but does DAD approve? If you look at any marketing and you simply say, does DAD approve? If it doesn't pass those three elements, uh, it's not going to work. But if you do pass those three, you have marketing that you can throttle and control. Yeah, I can't wait to check that out. I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. And uh, where can people purchase it? Where can we can we can we get it when we're you know when it, when it's out? So the book's called Get Different. It's it's at every major bookstore and minor one too. So if you have a favorite at Amazon or Barnes and Nobles, but you can go to your local bookstore and ask for it, they'll have it. Um, the website is go get different. So go get different.com. I have free resources there. Depending on when you're here, this, the book is coming out September 21st. So, uh, if it's prior to that, you can get resources already and get started. There's actually case studies of stuff we've done with other businesses that you can deploy in your own business. So go to go get different.com. That's probably the starting point. Go get different.com. Got it. And Mike, if people want to connect with you further, is that the best way to do it? Or are there any other avenues that would be best to stay in touch with your work? 
the only other place is, is my own author website. And this, this encompasses everything I do. Uh, it's mikemichalowitz.com, but no one can spell Michalowitz. So I was shortcut. It's Mike Motorbike. <laughs> my nickname from high school. I never driven a motorcycle, but mikemotorbike.com. It was the rhyme. It was the, the PG rated version of my nickname. But if you go to mikemotorbike.com, all my books are there. You can get the chapter downloads for free. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal for a few years. You can get all those articles too, mikemotorbike.com. Did you enjoy today's episode? If you do one thing, please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts and crush that subscribe button. New episodes will be posted on Sundays. Join our email list and get updates by going to earnmoretutoring.com. This show is written by Sean McCormick. The show is produced by Casey Sticker and Sean McCormick. Music production is by Casey Sticker. Our marketing and project management is done by Maya Pugach. To learn more, go to earnmoretutoring.com.